money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. As a Brazil-born entrepreneur and lawyer, passionate about health, conservation and female empowerment, Christina Tolaco is not short of accolades. Founder of Saldeci Fine Foods, chairperson at the Coalition for Conservation, director at Beyond Zero Emissions, vice president of New South Wales Women's Council and secretary of the New South Wales Energy and Environment Policy Branch, Christina works hard for the cause of women. Today, we're talking to her on Tilly Money. For me, you know, money is a bit like happiness and you know, I want to have control of my own happiness. You can't be dependent on others to be happy. You can't also be dependent on, on contingencies or, or others to, to have financial stability or to make money. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 1377-62 to speak to your local broker. Christina, oh, I know you as Chris. Welcome to Tilly Money and thanks for your time. Hi, Maureen. Thank you. And it's a great pleasure to be here. Oh, it's so good to talk to you in this formal sense because I've known you for a long time on many different levels with business and personal Always enjoy your company. And now, as I said at the very beginning when we were off air, I'm really looking forward to finding out things that even I don't know about you, Chris. So, <laughs> okay, so let, let's kick off and we'll take you back to when you were a young girl. And, uh, and as I said, you um, were born in Brazil um, when I opened up um, this podcast. But uh, Chris, where did you learn about money growing up? Because the emphasis of Tilly Money is all about helping women understand money and how important it is to be financially independent. So what's your story in terms of money? Yeah, so I grew up in, in a middle-class family in Brazil and I was very much exposed to social differences and a lot more exposed to poverty than we are here in Australia. And that, I think, made me very appreciative of the value of money from a very early age. And my parents have always been very uh, conservative with money, let's put it this way, but they were quite generous when, we, when it came to spending on, on my education and our well-being. But in Brazil, it's, it's very much a cash society and people don't, don't borrow because we have very large interest rates. So I grew up with this idea that you had to make uh, money and not borrow money. Uh, so I'm always reluctant nowadays, even today, uh, with the concept of borrowing mm. for the business or for other things, which is necessary sometimes because uh, for money to grow, you know, you have to 
to borrow money. So I was always aware of that need to work hard to make money, but I didn't really know how to manage it well in a way that you can can increase wealth Mm. until probably my mid-30s. So that idea of more a passive income that's derived from good investment strategies, that was something that came in that 30-year decade. That's right. Mm. That's right. Chris, you mentioned about borrowing for business and and I know that you've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Where did that come from? Oh, no, I actually don't consider uh, myself as very entrepreneurial at all. I think I was very interested um, when I was younger in pursuing a career that I was passionate about and without really giving much thought about the financial reward. So I only really became an entrepreneur more or less out of necessity rather than choice because when I, when I came to Australia, I couldn't pursue a career, my legal career. So I had to be creative and find an alternative source of income. And that's when I set up my company. But it wasn't really uh, the plan I had when I was younger. Okay, so, so things change for me. Yeah, th- things do change um, for all of us. But Chris, take us then through what your plan, you know, you said something that you were passionate about. Where, where did you think you were heading then? And this was while you were in Brazil and I know you've lived in other countries as well. Yeah, so in Brazil, I was studying law and I wanted to become uh, a lawyer or a prosecutor. And uh, then I I met my husband, Martin, and uh, I, you know, my plans have changed slightly. (laughs) We moved to Singapore where I did, I I continue to to study law and I studied law in Singapore. I ended up graduating. I had an LLB from University of London, but we made a choice to move to Australia. And when I migrated here, I realized it was very hard to practice and even after getting a diploma in corporate law from from Sydney Uni, I couldn't practice. So it was disappointing, but I decided to change my career path and I thought setting up a business at that time was a good idea because I had two very young children. I was feeling homesick at the time, so I decided to to do something that would maybe keep me linked to Brazil mm-hmm. and give and give me flexibility to look after my children if they got sick. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea of introducing to Australia this famous Brazilian snack, which I think you've had it at our place yes. before, Maureen, mm-hmm. called Pão de Queijo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how everything started. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. I remember that yeah, several times. So in yeah. terms of the original business was bringing in products from Brazil or creating them, manufacturing them here? Yeah, so this came from an idea of um, using this Brazilian snack to introduce it in, in Australia. So when, because I, whenever I made this recipe at home, all our friends loved it. And I mm. thought, oh, well, I can turn this into a business maybe. So at the very beginning, I flew up to Brazil on a mission to discover how to make this product in a more industrial way. So I visited factories and I ended up buying the, machi- the machinery there, importing it into Australia. So my husband and I registered our company, Saldosi Fine Foods. I remember it was in the year 2000, which was a difficult year because we were implementing GST in Australia. But we rented a factory mascot and we brought a Brazilian baker that could help us develop this product 
for the Australian market here. So we started selling it in the beginning, uh, you know, low scale and to school canteens. Uh, the product happened to be gluten-free. And it became very popular amongst those who were celiac or gluten intolerant. So that's where we found this little niche market at the time where Saldosi, the company, could then develop maybe more gluten-free products. There was a need and there wasn't much competition. No, well, you're talking 2000. I mean, you walk into most shops, food shops and supermarkets and you'll see the word gluten-free on some products somewhere, lots of products now, but you're talking at a time where... This was very new. Your products were very new to the market, being gluten free. Is that right? That's right. Not many people even knew what what gluten was at the mm. time. Mm. So we we started developing and selling, expanding to other types of allergies. So we realized soon that you know people with gluten allergies may have other allergies. Mm. So we started developing, um, you know, nut people for people with nut allergies, dairy allergies, egg allergies. So. Then we became known as, as an allergen-sensitive company, and we, we introduced our products to Woolworths. And that's how things started growing for us. And we, we also uh, developed our own brand, which is called uh, Yes, You Can. And today we, we're manufacturing more than 30 products, and we started also exporting, which opened a lot of doors for us. And you were also retailing. You had your, you had your own outlets. Is that right, Chris? Well, yes, the outlets are a different business. Uh, mm. They're called Naked Foods and we, we have two shops now. We used to have a lot more and they sell organic foods and they promote a zero waste lifestyle. We don't, uh, we, we don't sell plastic. We, everything is plastic free and it's um, portion measured according to how much people will consume. So I really like this, um, this whole thing about teaching people how to practice uh, sustainability and, you know, having a little bit of uh, uh, knowledge in how to improve the lifestyle, improve the environment. So that's why we, we bought into the concept of Naked Foods as well, which is a parallel, complementary business to our food manufacturing business. And on the business front, are you exporting your products as well? Yes. Yeah, so we started exporting. In fact, that's my big passion. I've always been very interested in creating a global brand and reaching out to other markets. But the first market that I reached out to was Singapore because it was a country where I lived for seven years. So I had a lot of contacts there and my husband understood the retail systems there. Uh, and then since then, which has been like seven or eight years, we now sell to 25 countries. Yeah. And we've recently got into Indonesia, India, and the UK, which are quite large markets. And we've been focusing a lot of our efforts into exports. Mm. So is the lawyer there still burning within you or are you able to satisfy that kind of passion in your business? Do those legal skills that you have come alive at Saltoche Fine Foods or...? Yeah, very much what you said. I don't really feel the need. I, I don't feel bad about having given up on, on the law. I actually think for me it was a much better choice. It, it gives me, as an entrepreneur, it gives me so much more flexibility. Um, and you know, I can expand the business the way I wish. I think a corporate lawyer has a much um, restricted and tougher hours and, and tougher life than I do. Mm, <laughs> I enjoy traveling as well. And yes. the export side takes me to many countries. 
Yes, and as you said at the beginning, a lot of women, and certainly you said um, you were one of them, was that part of the decision to go into business was it allowed you that flexibility of raising your two children as well. That's right. And it, it did help me in the beginning, especially being in Australia where there's very little domestic, there was at the time very little domestic help. So, and I wanted to be a mom as well. I wanted to mm. divide my attention between mm. work and, and being a mother. Yeah, as many of us do. Chris, you mentioned words like sustainability and you talked about your products, you know, no plastic and, and you know, certainly having a health orientation. This is a passion of yours, though, the environment and sustainability. And I believe you recently studied an executive program on women and power from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And um, yeah. can you tell us about that? What were some of the key learnings there? Oh, this was really a wonderful, really wonderful executive program. I highly recommend uh, for any woman who's interested in improving leadership skills to think about doing it. It, it gave me so many light bulb moments when I was there, but it's, it's learning. It helped me learn more about myself and how to equip myself with tools and strategies to enhance influence, um, how to become more strategic about negotiation, uh, negotiating my way, you know, communicating. And for, for me, it was more like assertiveness as well. Um, I think historically, you know, business and, and also political environments, they've been built for men, not for yeah. women. <laughs> so we have to navigate our way. And negotiation is something that I've learned in this course. They gave us a lot of insights on, um, you know, how to, how to become assertive in your own skin. And it, what really enriched me was this um, incredible, rich global network that it presented of powerful and inspiring women who I met. And so many parts of the world, from so many parts of the world, and also with different career backgrounds. Mm. And we created a bond, and we still see each other now on video, of course, and they're, like I said, they're all international ladies, but we continue to motivate and help each other. Mm, that's fantastic. So it was a really good course. So was this done before COVID? So you were, did it face-to-face -face or was it an, an online yes, course? This, this was much before COVID. Mm, yeah. uh, I, I think they're still doing it now, but it's probably not the same mm. as, you know, having that face-to-face -face connectivity. Was, was it done on campus in the States? or? Yes, it mm. was done in Harvard on mm. campus. How long did the um, course run for, Chris? It was about 10 days, very intensive and, and, and lots of social gatherings as well and interesting presentations. Oh, amazing experience. And as you said, the wonderful people that you made connections with, you know, that um, over a lifetime, the value of that is enormous. But you also yeah. do a lot of work on the New South Wales Women's Council. What does that involve? Yeah, so I've always been very passionate about empowering other females. And I, I feel like one sector we really need to improve is female representation in Australian politics. Uh, women are, are so much less um, vulnerable to, say, the disease of ego and individualism. And I think we need more women in politics to get that balance right. So I joined the New South Wales Liberal Women's Council. Uh, it's an organization that advocates for more female participation in politics. So what we do is we support women who wish to stand for a public office. We do training programs, uh, mentoring, and even fundraising for them. And we also encourage them to debate. You know, they don't necessarily have to go. 
we don't all want to be in politics, but we can debate policies, we can put motions forward, especially motions that support women's interests and well-being in terms of superannuation, in terms of uh, access to health and things like that. And you've been involved with this for a number of years, haven't you? Yeah, I think it's my fifth year on the committee. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very interesting place to be and also in terms of meeting a variety of ladies, not just from the city, but from regional and rural areas. So with very different, um, you know, challenges. Mm-hmm. How do you manage it all, Chris? Because it's one thing ah. that us women, <laughs> we take on all of these things, but I know your, your son and your daughter um, are not babies anymore, so that frees up time, but there's still family that ranks as important. How do you manage your time between family, the business, your presence on boards, you know, the passion that you have that drives you? Give us some clues in that direction. Well, it's, it's actually one of the hardest things because I think for us women, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to balance things because we tend to put everything ahead of our own interests. Um, you know, family comes first, work comes first at times, even um, things like friends come first. So I've been learning. That's something that I have to improve a lot. I have to, at times, you know, not get involved with everything that I have a passion for and not say yes to every position that, I, that I'm offered. And I have a rule of thumb now that, you know, for anything I get involved with, that has, it has to sort of tick two boxes passion, but also some financial reward because, um, and I still, you know, do a lot of volunteer work for, for some charities that we're, Martin and I are involved with. And I do, I'm on many not-for-profit boards, but it also has to bring some sort of financial reward. But the balancing of time is hard because I like being active and I, um, I like getting involved in all these areas of environment and female empowerment. I also am very passionate about improving the lives of the homeless, especially during COVID. There's been a lot more people you know, who, who need help. But it's, it's finding that time sometimes to go do some yoga or have a pedicure. <laughs> I find it very hard. But, you know, I think friends are important for women, the female friends, because they're really good at reminding you to take time to yourself. And, and they support me a lot in that. They know that I'm very active. So they tend to sort of say, no, let's, let's have a weekend off together. Let's do something for ourselves. It's so important um, that often as women we put ourselves last when looking after our health and our well-being and our mental mental health in particular is fundamentally so important to be able to achieve all those other things that we want to achieve and spend our time with. Yeah, that's very right. So, Chris, you are a passionate Latin person. I know that, you know, that you're driven by things that you're passionate about. And as you said, you talked about helping the homeless, you know, your your dedication to helping women, we know that. But if you reflected on your greatest or your best personal investment, what, what would you see that? Something that gave you, you've mentioned courses that you've done, but something that gave you a real return, something that made such a difference to your life. Could, could you pick mm. out anything in particular? Well, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of personal investment, it's really my family, my children, it has been my greatest personal investment in terms, of, in terms of time and money. And as they grow, I can see that it was worth taking that time off. It was always worth to place them first. 
and put my career on hold for a period of time or you know at times that's what happens but I think what gives me a lot of pleasure is to know that you know we, I managed to somehow balance work and still be very present in the family mm. but and and of course another great personal investment I did for myself was as you mentioned that that course the women in power course yeah that was a great personal investment at the time I thought oh that's a lot of money it's time it's taking time off from work but in, in actual fact I, the return that I got from that was far bigger than expected mm. yeah I, I can only imagine you know given the quality of that kind of educational training and as you said before the the, the number of women that you met must be quite a, an amazing experience for anyone who could consider that. Coming back to money, Chris, what's the greatest piece of money advice? You said that you kind of became more alert and more aware to money in your mid-30s. You know, mm. go back there, take us back there and, you know, what triggered that interest in money? Was, was there someone who you had to talk to? Was there some kind of, you know, book that you read? You know, when, when and why did you start becoming interested in money? I guess I started becoming interest, much more interested in money, obviously, when, when I started the business. And uh, it was tough because I've, I've had a legal background, but no, absolutely no financial training. I was very literate when it came to personal financial management, things like budgeting, investing, borrowing. And so I was very eager to learn a lot more about how to maintain that financial stability for myself and the business and also I wanted to learn more about how to invest wisely and have a savings plan and not just um, you know do the day-to-day -day thing without thinking about say uh, you know saving more or creating more wealth um, this, this is when it started I guess when in the beginning when I started running the business but of course you're so busy um, in the operational side of your business then it's really hard to also um, reach that point where you have the time to pursue your financial management properly. Mm. Um, so I, I guess in terms of money, what I've always learned and is that, you, you, and I've always been reminded by my parents actually, is the, you buy few, you're trying the, to buy the best that, that the money can afford. Mm -hmm. And also grew up with that very important concept that, you pay your bills first and, and then you spend, which it makes me feel much more relaxed as a person. That that's I've, I've always done that. I've never overspent or overstepped. I grew my business organically. Um, so I guess it just it's just my conservative side with money that tells me that. But I'm learning how to take more risks that are measured right now. And um, I, I can understand that there's, there has to be a balance there. And, but I don't like having mental stress and financial mental stress. For me, it affects me a lot. So I'm still a very conservative investor, a conservative entrepreneur, because I also feel that uh, money for me is probably not number one uh, ambition. I like managing also my passions and having a, a business that is not in debt. Mm. And you talked about this notion of measured or calculated risk because that's an important one. We live in a world where there's risk all around us. It's almost impo impossible not to take risk. And But you've talked about calculated and measured risk, which is important for women to understand. And mm -hmm. the other thing that you've talked about, um, 
which is a good piece of advice, is you pay your bills first because that avoids the debt trap. And so take us, take us a little bit more through that. What, what does debt mean to you for someone who's self-confessed um, risk-averse <laughs> person? <laughs> well, for me, debt can mean a lot of things. It means that the money, your cash flow, for example, um, a lot of businesses fail because of their cash flow situation. So you have to make sure that your business is earning enough uh, to be able to, and usually you have to pay bills before you actually get paid in businesses like mine, for example, where, you know, your um, the, 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 the credit, the debtors have a period of time to pay you and you may come or may not. So I think you have to be very um, planned in terms of constantly referring to your, your budget and your expenses, not lose track of your expenses. And that goes not just for a business, but as a person. So always check your credit card and the figures and don't just, you know, get a little bit excited when you have a bit more in the bank, mm -hmm. because that's what happens. And it's a natural feeling that you, you, you have that month where you're more successful in terms of um, sales. And then you think, okay, I can spend a lot more. Uh, I think that's the time when, when you put money aside and mm -hmm. save. Mm -hmm. And that's the time that you, you think about the future and you try and save. So mm -hmm. saving is really important for me. I like putting a little bit of money aside always. And um, so at the end of the year, I have a luxury of, you know, being able to, to have that independence of deciding how to spend it as well. I think making your own money for females is, is certainly something that makes you feel a lot more empowered and being rewarded with, with the money your, your business makes and, and having control of your decisions is um, on how you save or spend is important. Mm, well, that's certainly what drives us here at Tilly Money is to help women understand how amazing that feeling is to be financially independent and we're not talking super wealthy driving you know glitzy cars and wearing designer labels we're talking about just knowing that I can look after myself and yeah. what, what you're saying about even the idea that you might have had a good month or even a good three months that doesn't necessarily mean that the next three or six or nine months will be the same so you wisely put money aside to see you through that longer period that's, mm. that's what you're really talking about, isn't it? Yeah, and we saw with COVID that businesses or, or people who did not have savings, you know, struggled a lot more. People mm. that were in huge debt yes. struggled a lot more. So mm. you have to be prepared for situations uh, that can happen. Mm. And, and I, I think for me, you know, money is a bit like happiness. You know, I want to have control of my own happiness. You can't be dependent on others to be happy. You can't also be dependent on, on contingencies or, or, not, or others to, to have financial stability or to make money. Um, you really have to save your own money for the future. You, you shouldn't depend on, on other things or, you know, or other people for money. Mm. I think nothing really matches for me that feeling of freedom, having enough savings in the bank in time of crisis yes. so you can sleep mm. well, mm. yeah. Well, COVID certainly said, as you suggested, Chris, it highlighted that if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you've got a problem when these black swan events, you know, come out of nowhere like COVID and you might lose your job. Paycheck to paycheck is a very unstable way of existing. Um, would you agree? Yeah, mm. definitely. definitely. It's, it it certainly has um, changed how people perceive, um, you know, 
many things. I think COVID has changed mm. the lives of many people. And I think people will be more careful now and mm. businesses will be more careful with their cash flow and their expenditure. Mm, there's certainly a lot of learnings for all of us there. And they're good things with all the bad things that have come out of COVID. There's lots of lessons like that about how, how to run a better business or how to manage mm. your personal fine, um, balance sheet better. But Chris, you do a lot of things. You've told us about that um, since we've been talking you know, from Soldocha, your business, to the Women's Council, you know, to the passion mm -hmm. that you have in so many areas, what motivates you to keep going? Um, I think what motivates me is that sort of sensation of giving back and doing something meaningful, um, but also matching your passion with that, you know, giving purpose in your life or with what you do, because we live such short lives and we, we, we really don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow. You know, so I make sure that uh, I integrate uh, my personal passions uh, with, with the business that I run and somehow you know, that I feel quite privileged uh, to be where I am and to get to where I am. So I, I've always felt, you know, we have to give back somehow. So for the food business, for example, you know, we made enough networks in the food area that we can support the homeless. Um, so I got involved with One Meal, this beautiful charity that feeds the homeless uh, and less privileged around Sydney. So for the, for the past five years, we've been involved in this and we, we love bringing our friends and bringing our you know, food partners into this. And I also like being on boards. I like contributing and especially, you know, on advisory positions because um, it's, it's good to share knowledge. I think it's very important to share with others and I'm, I'm never protective of what I've learned. I always like sharing. I, I don't feel that there's any competitiveness or, or I feel like we, we can help each other. And I guess that's what mo motivates me also to show my kids that, you know, it's important to be involved in, in many things and not just be selfish about what you like, but be part of um, a whole ecosystem where, you know, it, it brings um, that sort of pleasure of being connected with people and doing things that um, can make a difference. Yeah, mm, that's so true. Let me take you back, Chris, to a young woman I presume you would have been in Brazil at the time, so you might have been around 20. Mm -hmm. If you could go back and talk to her with the wisdom and the passion and the knowledge that you have accumulated um, over the years since then, what would you like to say to her? And we always say, if she'd listen. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say, uh, based on my experience, be assertive. Um, don't let other people, you know, uh, tell you what you can or cannot do. Uh, make sure, of course, that you've got the tools to do what you want to do. When it comes to money, start thinking about your financial independence really early. Don't wait until later in life. And start saving early as well. And like I said, don't feel like you should depend on anybody else for money. You try and, uh, you know, as much as you can for your career, your passions, whatever pathways to, to build your own wealth because it's really important for, for females to be independent financially. Mm -hmm. uh, that gives them, you know, that sort of um, confidence uh, and, and, and a peace of mind. And choices. You know, once you've got some money behind you, you can make choices that can change your life, like a course that you mentioned before. You know, that could have you know, a life-changing um, impact on someone who could afford to go and do a course. 
um, and take them in a, a totally expanded area. Chris, mm -hmm. I know from my personal experience you're a big sharer. I know that you're a massive contributor to um, help women to take that step to their rightful place, which is beside men, not behind men, not necessarily even in front of men, but beside men in life. I've seen that over and over again um, in my times um, that I've spent with you. And I thank you for what you've shared with us today on Tilly Money, and I, I hope that we can talk to you again for more of your wisdom and insights. Thanks, Maureen. It was a great pleasure. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. And see you next time.